your first time here then thank you for joining us this is the doula's guide to preparing for your birth with me meg also known as the dungaree doula it's the podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy birth and parenting my aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come if you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me then go and check out the very first episode for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing and the following episodes for some great birth and parenting preparation if you love the podcast, you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. A huge thank you in advance if you choose to do this. The podcast is something that I research, write, record and edit completely alone and I'm completely unpaid for. So the tips that come in from those of you who have found it useful are truly, truly appreciated. Before we begin, I also want to remind you that I now have two pre-recorded online courses. The first is a full antenatal education and hypnobirthing course and you can sign up to it and start working through it right away in your own time. There are over 30 modules to work through, each made up of video content with PDF downloads, hypnobirthing MP3 tracks, relaxation tracks, journaling prompts, birth plan templates, birth partner checklists, and so much more. It's only £37, which is an absolute steal, but to celebrate the launch of season two, you can use the code podcast for 20% off. Just click the link in the show notes or head to my website, which is thedungaredoolight.co.uk and head to the online course page. Whilst you're over there, you will see the even newer Hypnobirthing Essentials course, which as it sounds is a condensed essential version. It's still pre-recorded for you. Um, so it's maybe good for those of you who are like at the end of your pregnancies, don't have much time to work through a full course. Those of you who have already done some antenatal education, but want the Hypnobirthing on top. Those of you pregnant for a second, third, subsequent time. Um, just want a little refresher. Those of you who want a cheaper option any of those things so if any of those things sound like you then head to the same place linked in the show notes and check it out hypnobirthing essentials is just 20 pounds so again really great value and also comes with the hypnobirthing mp3s the video content in every section pdf downloads and lots of extras too i hope you'll love it go and treat yourself if you're expecting a baby in 2024 how exciting happy new year So in this episode, I'm going to be breaking down the NHS maternity statistics for 2022 to 2023, which were released at the beginning of December. Um, so beginning of December 2023. And you're probably thinking, well, that's a bit random and also boring. <laughs> Why would I care? Uh, but actually, if you're currently pregnant, then this is incredibly important. It's also a little bit shocking. If you're engaging with the system, then I think that you need to know about this. Um, you're free to pick and choose what you want to learn about, but I really do think that if you're engaging with the NHS maternity system at any point throughout your pregnancy, birth and beyond, then this is really crucial knowledge that will help you to better prepare for the birth that you want. You don't want to just be stepping in completely blind. So I'm going to break them down. I'm going to talk about some other research and statistics that tie into this, including the recent um, Care Quality Commission review of the quality of care within different trusts and the standalone trust infographics too. As we go through, I'll give little bits of advice on navigating everything, so stick with it. I think you'll find it eye-opening and hopefully incredibly useful as you journey through the rest of your pregnancy. So whether you're due to give birth any day now or you're right at the beginning, um, there's something for everyone in this episode. 
A little content warning before we begin. This episode does discuss stillbirth, maternal mortality and suicide. Not in any graphic detail at all and it's not prolonged discussion points but these topics are discussed within the context of the statistics so feel free to check out now if you're not in the right headspace for it absolutely no judgment and nothing but love if you don't have the capacity for these conversations right now it might seem like a really bleak conversation at times but yeah stick with it um right at the end there is going to be a pep talk and an actionable plan of how to use this information to fuel you to get a better birth because it does sound quite bad the statistics are not great but some of them can be easily explained and all of them will hopefully just fuel you to go ahead and do that little bit of extra research and preparation that is going to help you to get a better birth in these situations so every year the NHS publish their maternity statistics and on the 7th of December 2023 statistics were published from the 1st of April 2022 to the 31st of March 2023. So that's the time period that these maternity statistics were covering. So during this time, there were 547,244 births in NHS hospitals. And it goes on to say, over the past 10 years, the number of deliveries in NHS hospitals fluctuated, but are now at their lowest reported level in this time. I wonder if this is due to less people choosing to give birth in the hospital, if it's due to more people stepping away from the system and choosing wild pregnancy, free birth, independent care. You know, it's probably a mix of birth combined with the fact that less people are just having birth. I don't see the level of people choosing a different pathway making, you know, quite as much difference. (laughs) It's, you know much more likely that this is due to just less people giving birth but I do wonder if you know there is a tiny we see it happening there is a tiny ripple of people choosing wild pregnancy free birth independent care and things like that um so it'd be interesting to you know see if they would I guess they don't always know do they but if there was like a part of the report that covered that as well how many more people are choosing to do that but anyway One of the first things that this report talks about is the onset of delivery and it states method of onset describes the means by which labour was initiated where this begins without pharmacological, mechanical or operative intervention is said to be spontaneous. So we're analysing how many people went into spontaneous labour, how many people were induced and how many people went in for planned caesareans. So just the onset. It doesn't matter at this point how the labour ended So, you know, if you went into spontaneous labour, but you ended up with an emergency caesarean, you're still classed as going into spontaneous labour. So let's think about this rationally, right? If I were to say to you, how many people do you think go into labour spontaneously? You'd probably think it's quite high, right? Like if I wasn't a birth worker and I didn't constantly see the statistics coming out from different hospital trusts each month, I reckon I would have thought that's something like 70 maybe 80% of people were going into spontaneous labour, something like that. Because there's always going to be some people who do need or want planned cesareans. There will always be a few people who do truly need or want an induction. But surely not that many. Surely the majority of us are going into spontaneous labour. But actually, no, (laughs) it's not the majority. So between April 2022, March 2023, only 43% of people giving birth in the UK went into spontaneous labour. That is less 
than half. To me, I find this quite concerning, quite upsetting and incredibly frustrating. I think it's sad. I think it's quite unfathomable to think that we've gotten to a place where 57% of people are either being induced or having planned cesareans. Um, And because this section is only discussing the onset of labour, it doesn't cover the percentage of people who then go on to have their labour augmented. So people who start spontaneously and then end up on the drip. It doesn't count people who start spontaneously and end up with a cesarean. So it is just, you know, the rates of people who actually then have a vaginal delivery after that are even less. So, yeah, 43% of people going into spontaneous labour. And, you know, don't misinterpret this as me being anti-induction or anti-cesarean. I say this in every single bloody podcast. I am not. I am all for medically necessary inductions and cesareans. I am all for fully informed inductions and cesareans at maternal request. If you want one, you feel informed about it, it's the right option for you. 100% in your corner. If it is medically necessary and you really don't want it, but it's medically necessary, sending you a whole lot of love, 100% in your corner. Fully, fully in support of those. My beef with this number is with people being misled into these interventions for reasons which are not medically necessary, but they're being led to believe that they are. So they're being coerced into intervention by being told that if they do not have these interventions, they're putting their babies at huge risks and things like that, when actually the statistics say otherwise. So in the statistics published for the year 2012 to 2013, so 10 years ago, spontaneous onset of labour was 64%. So it's decreased in only 10 years, from 64% chance of going into spontaneous labour down to 43%. That's a pretty massive jump. And in that time, I don't believe anything has made birth more risky or made an induction or a cesarean safer for that amount of women. So in that time, the planned cesarean rate has also increased. So the planned cesarean rate 10 years ago was 13%. It's now 23%. The induction rate has increased from 23% to 33%. What has changed is the system. So the stripping of the funding, the chronic understaffing, the fear of litigation, the constant paperwork, the poor midwives working without breaks to eat or drink or pee. And under these circumstances, it has become the easier option to induce, to manage bed numbers and staff levels and to cater to who will be in that way. And of course, there are other reasons too. More pregnant people are being given high-risk labels. So midwives are working to preempt problems before they arise, and this can end up causing problems. The cascade of after having one emergency cesarean, ending up pregnant again and being too traumatised to have anything but a planned cesarean. So, you know, people who are maybe having unnecessary induction a few years ago, ending up having emergency cesareans and then getting pregnant again and planning a cesarean because they do not want to give themselves the risk of getting traumatised by a induction or a vaginal delivery. They'd rather just be in control and have a cesarean. And that's, you know, like I said, that's more than okay. I am really happy for you if you get a planned cesarean and it feels like the right option. But what's not right is the thing that happened the first time when they were blindsided into that induction that wasn't needed. So the intervention, basically breeding more intervention in future pregnancies. And then people who are pregnant who are terrified of birth by societal influence or family pressure, 
There's people requesting inductions or cesareans because all they're ever hearing from people around them is horror stories of their terrifying inductions that they've had. And they're going, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. And we're never hearing the alternative of the people who go into spontaneous labour. And that makes sense when you find out that it's because it's now the minority of people going into spontaneous labour. There are also some other things as well that do, you know, that do play in, have that do play a factor in this. So an aging population with more health concerns, that's going to play a tiny part, right? It would be, you know, disingenuous for me to leave that out. But as a whole, you know, the vast majority of us are perfectly capable of growing a baby and then pushing them out. And I think it's totally valid to request a cesarean if you feel it's right for you. I think the planned cesarean rate going up is probably in part that we now know more maternal requests for cesareans are coming in and being granted. And I think that's a good thing. You know, it used to be really hard for people to be allowed to request a cesarean and it isn't as hard now. There is still backlash, you know, if women are having, um, are just wanting a cesarean for no medical reason, it can still be met with a backlash. It can still be hard, but they are being granted more often, you know, and women having their wishes met in this way is a good thing. I'm a lot more personally concerned with the rising induction rates and I'll talk more at the end. The rising induction rate, yeah, it worries me because of what I see in my work day in, day out. I have people coming to me constantly, absolutely traumatised by their inductions that were not medically necessary. People being told that they were having ginormous babies that they would never be able to push out, having been forced into an induction and their baby being seven pound bang on average they could have easily you know they did easily push them out <laughs> but they yeah uh, they got blindsided into this traumatic traumatic induction people who have got you know gestational diabetes so being told they need an induction people having IVF pregnancies being told they need an induction and not being given the actual facts so you know for some people gestational diabetes or IVF you will you will find out the facts you will do the research and if you've got these things and you will think actually no an induction does feel right but then other people who have decision diabetes, IVF, will look at the research, look at the statistics and go, I don't actually think that those risks are that risky to me. Those numbers don't seem that high. I want to have a spontaneous vaginal delivery. But people are, you know, often not given the research or the statistics. They're just told you need to do these things. You need to have this intervention. Otherwise, your baby will die. Otherwise, you're putting your baby at risk. Why would you do that? It's, yeah, the rising induction rates that concern me and yeah frustrate me so why am I talking about this it sounds incredibly bleak and it is a bit like like I said I'm battling this day in day out by my client's side but I'm telling you this because if you want a spontaneous vaginal delivery then you need to know that this is happening it's absolutely not impossible to have one but it means taking a little bit more responsibility for your pregnancy and birth and not just handing yourself over to the system where your chance of a spontaneous vaginal delivery, which used to be the norm, <laughs> is now less than 50%. So it means that when the time comes that you are offered an induction, because it's more than likely that that time will come, I was absolutely barraged into being induced in birth of my pregnancies. And luckily, you know, I managed to dodge them because I had done incredible amounts of preparation and knew where to go and find the research so that I could be confident in knowing that an induction wasn't right for me but that yeah if that time comes you know what to ask 
you know how to find out if it's medically necessary. You know how to make decisions that feel right for you, that feel right for your baby and that are right for your personal circumstances. So I am absolutely not telling you this trying to scare you. Like this information is not a conspiracy theory. It's not me trying to worry anybody. It's out there for people to see. The NHS has put it out on their own, you know, on their own website. They've put it out there for you to look at and to analyse. I'm here analysing it to try and help you get the outcome you deserve and the birth that you truly wish for. Research has shown that in the UK, 33% of women live with birth trauma. And I would say that's a conservative estimate. Around 4 to 6% of women will develop post-traumatic stress disorder after giving birth, which translates to about 30,000 women a year. So in the UK, 30,000 women are developing PTSD in the UK as a result of their birth experience. And this is just heartbreaking and not okay. And the reason I bring this up is to not say that all of those women were induced or had emergency caesareans, because we simply, we don't know. We don't know the exact stats. I know some people having spontaneous vaginal deliveries can still end up with birth trauma too. But to me, it, it seems like these rates of intervention skyrocketing alongside the rates of birth trauma and PTSD skyrocketing, it's likely that there's a correlation there. And anecdotally as well, almost all of the women I know who have suffered from birth trauma were either induced or did go into spontaneous labour but then had their labour augmented with an induction method. So they had synthetic oxytocin given to them to speed things up. I'm using <laughs> quotation marks with my hands um, when I say speed things up because oh, so other, a whole other topic, you know. <laughs> or they had their waters broken or something else which led to traumatic events because of the cascade of intervention, um, frequently an unplanned or emergency caesarean as well. And it's, it's bullshit, really, isn't it? It's bullshit. Let's call it what it is, that we should have to navigate this. It's absolute bullshit that we should have to navigate this and we should have to plan and prep and arm ourselves with this knowledge just to avoid this sort of trauma. But, yeah, like I've said, it's a good idea to know what is going on in many labour wards up and down the country right now so you're not just walking in blind and you might be one of the lucky ones you might end up going into spontaneous labour and having the birth of your dreams with minimal prep and honestly I really hope you do because <laughs> no one needs that stress do they especially when you're pregnant like you're pregnant you you don't need that stress but we have a right to know about this and to decide what we want to decide where we draw the line and to decide what feels right for you I uh, yeah I'll say it again I'm not trying to scare you I'm not trying to prepare you for a fight. I'm just trying to help you have a better birth than what is currently the bare minimum, basically, right? I do not want you to be blindly coerced into an induction, not knowing that you can say, it's not even about saying no, it's about saying, can you show me the statistics? What are the actual numbers? Don't let someone say to you, your risk of stillbirth doubles if you don't get induced today. What does it double from? Does it double from, you know... 0.1% or does it double up to 80% because those two things are vastly different the risk of stillbirth doubling to under 1% compared to doubling to 80% is massively massively different and is going to have a massively different impact on the decisions that you make around whether induction is necessary or not so if someone's saying to you your risk of x y or z happens can I see the research for that where is that research from is it up to date? Is it evidence-based? What are the actual statistics? What are the actual numbers? When you've got them, then you say to somebody, 
right, well, now I'm going to go away and I'm going to think about this. You always have time. You almost always have time. If there was a true, true emergency and there was a risk to you or your baby's life, you wouldn't be getting recommended an induction. You would be getting recommended a cesarean. Inductions generally take days. You generally get booked for an induction and then you have to wait days for it to actually even get started. And then you have to spend days going through all of the different methods. If there was a true emergency that was a risk to you or your baby's life, they would give you an emergency cesarean right there and right then. You always have time. And that's not to say that, you know, inductions don't have a place, but it's to say before you decide to have one, take your time. Look at the research, look at the benefits, look at the risks, look at the statistics, look at the numbers, look at where that research comes from, ask questions, take your time making your decisions. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, there is a growing movement of people stepping away from the system altogether, choosing wild pregnancies, choosing free babs, and there are other people doing things their own way. So picking and choosing the care, opting for private scans, paid birth support, independent midwives, doulas etc etc but realistically this isn't an option for the large majority of us is it like the large majority of people currently pregnant want to be supported by the nhs right it's not just that like they have to they want to be supported by the nhs they want to engage with antenatal care and be attended by midwives at their birth so if you're in the system and choosing to stay there i will give you some tips in a moment when we finish looking at these stats of you know how to navigate it but yeah i feel like i've just given you the biggest one there ask questions always just ask questions so let's carry on working through the report it then goes on to discuss the method of delivery so this is regardless of the onset of labor so regardless of how labor started they're just looking at how it finished um it would i would think it would be more helpful them to break it down further so talk about you know they've talked about the onset and then they've talked about how it ends we need something to tie these together how many people who went into spontaneous labor ended up with a spontaneous vaginal delivery how many people ended up with their labor augmented later on down the line things like that but it doesn't so they're just looking at how it finished um so did it end with a spontaneous vaginal delivery did it end up an assisted delivery did it end with a cesarean planned or unplanned so 39 percent of births ended up with a cesarean and the method of delivery um, section states the proportion of cesarean deliveries increases with age group and accounts for 55% of deliveries to those women age 40 and over. So as a whole, 39% of labours in this country end in a cesarean. But if you're aged 30 to 39, the rate of cesarean deliveries is actually 42%. And in those over 40, the rate is 55%, which is huge. And again, it might be that more people in these age groups are opting for cesareans or inductions and are happily making the decisions because they feel safer for those people. So I'm happy you have the freedom to make those choices. I think it's also probably likely that people in these age brackets, especially over 35, who are being classed as high risk because they're having a geriatric pregnancy, just don't get me started on the awful <laughs> term geriatric pregnancy. I hate it. Um... But people are having who are pregnant over 35 in a lot of trusts get classed as high risk purely because they're, you know, over 35. And I assume a lot of these people are being scared into interventions too with, you know, cherry picked statistics or research, which doesn't show the full picture on how safe it is to, you know, simply patiently wait for your baby to come when you're slightly over the like slightly older than they would like you to be to not be classed as bloody geriatric. <laughs> um yeah so if there's no other risk factors pregnant uh, present 
you know, why not just wait? Unless you've looked at the research and decided you don't want to, in which case, absolutely fine. Um, people, you know, probably not being given person-centred care, which looks at specific pregnancies, like your circumstances and how it's actually going. Because, you know, for some over 35s, pregnancy is going to come with added risks. But for many, it isn't. And it's about making decisions based on what is right for the individual, not just blanket recommendations based on hospital guidelines. Um, it's also more common statistically for people in this age bracket to be having IVF pregnancies too, which again will always end in more intervention because many people do opt for this. But also many people, again, will be scared into intervention that they didn't want or need. But based on the fact that they're having an IVF pregnancy and not just on their individual circumstances. So IVF is a big topic. Um, it's something that I know a lot about. I've had quite a few um, doula clients who have had IVF pregnancies and I will talk about it on the podcast at some point um, because I think it's very interesting. It's something people are quite fearful of, but actually statistically, if you get to full term, it's it's pretty safe. So <laughs> yeah, I'll do a topic. I'll do a podcast episode on that at some point. But yeah, a lot to think about there. Um, if you're over 30, your chance of having a vaginal delivery is even lower than those below 30. Um, so yeah, be prepared for the induction cesarean chats to come. <laughs> Have a really good think about what would be right and what would be the ideal route for your birth to go down based on your current circumstances. What's going on in your life, in your pregnancy, with you, with your baby? They then go on to discuss births and in this section it talks about birth weight and I found this section interesting as the big baby, small baby debate is something I have done a lot of research on. I have a whole podcast episode on this topic, um, season one, episode 26, if you want to know more about this or you know you've been told you're going to have a big baby um, because this episode is jam-packed with information. I would really recommend listening before you make any big decisions with regards to your baby being too big or too small. I say again, that with air quotations. <laughs> um, the reason I found this interesting is because we are seeing more and more inductions being pushed on people because they're having supposedly big babies. And like I said at the beginning, actually, these babies are coming out and they're, you know, seven pounds something, which is bang on average. And that's actually supported by these stats. So only 7% of people had what's classed as a low birth weight and only 9% had a birth weight, which was over 4,000 grams, which is what hospitals class as large for gestational age. I mean, that's still only £8.13, which is really not that big in the grand scheme of things. But that just means that 84% of people are having average-sized babies. A few people are having small babies, which makes sense. Rates of prematurity. Some people do just carry small. And then less than 10% having these so-called big babies. I don't have the statistics for how many people are being told their babies are predicted to be big, but I don't think I've had a client this year who's not been told that their baby is going to be big, to be honest. It's pretty mad. Um, again, I won't get into this now, but go and listen to that podcast for why it's really not that big of a deal if your baby, if you're told your baby is big, or even if your baby actually is just big. We can give birth to big babies. <laughs> Obviously, personal circumstances permitted. Um, then goes on to say 73% of babies had skin to skin contact at birth, which, you know, fair enough. It does mean that 27% didn't get skin to skin. 
um, which I do find a little bit sad, but, you know, it could have been for many reasons. Skin to skin is just so important and so beneficial for so many reasons. And I don't want to sound judgy here because, you know, I'm fully aware that there may have been reasons that some people couldn't facilitate immediate skin to skin. Maybe cesareans under general anaesthetic, people having traumatic deliveries who were heavily medicated, probably quite a few people having cesareans who were aware that they were able to have immediate skin to skin you know it's not always the done thing in theatre there were probably a few people who just didn't want it to maybe their partner wanted to be the first person to hold the baby or something like that so not to judge or anything like that but I just yeah 27% of babies not getting immediate skin to skin does make me feel a little bit sad um if you're considering an induction or a cesarean um, please do ensure you still make a birth plan and if you want skin to skin have it down on that birth plan because there are yes yeah, so many benefits but it's not always facilitated unless you ask in these scenarios especially after cesareans so yeah have it down the NICE guidelines do actually state um, the NICE quality standard for care at birth recommends that mothers have skin to skin contact with their babies after birth to promote the initiation of breastfeeding and pre- protect against the negative effects of mother-baby separation so yeah it's something I'm incredibly passionate about is ensuring people understand the benefits of skin to skin and knowing that you have a legal right to hold your baby against your skin regardless of how your birth goes um 72 percent of babies were breastfed as their first feed which is actually lower than usual used to be around 80 percent so again that's a quite a steep drop really um again this is hard to talk about about being judging this is sad if these are mothers who wanted to breastfeed but we simply just don't know there's there's nothing um on there that suggests you know that the percentage of people who um didn't breastfeed wanted to i imagine you know for a lot of these people they probably didn't want to and that's absolutely fine but you know if there were people on there who wanted to breastfeed, who couldn't, or who weren't given the choice to, then yeah, that's sad. And my heart does really go out to you because it's a very, it's a hard topic. Breastfeeding initially um, is incredibly beneficial to seeding your baby's gut microbiome. So even if you're not sold on breastfeeding long term, it might be something you want to look into um, just as giving a first feed or maybe even just harvesting colostrum in advance to give your baby as that initial feed to seed the microbiome before moving on to formula. But again, that's a topic for a whole other podcast. Um, and yeah, no judgment either way. It's your right to choose how you want to feed your baby. And that kind of sums up the statistics. Um, quite a lot to take in there. There is some other stuff, but I've not really put in anything that wasn't a talking point because it's a podcast <laughs> I need something to talk about um let's make some observations so the main takeaway as I said at the beginning for me anyway is the increase in induction rate especially knowing that that doesn't even include membrane streeping so stretch and sweeps doesn't include any augmentation so you know breaking waters at any point doesn't include putting people on the drip to speed the labor up once it's already begun so the actual number of induced baths is actually a lot lot higher And like I said, if you've had an induced birth, please do not feel ashamed of this. Or like you had a lesser birth or you failed at birth. You did not. You absolutely cannot fail at birth. However you bring your baby into this world. Please do not, yeah, do not misunderstand my upset and my frustration because it is not with you. It is with the system because there's no way all of these inductions were necessary. And I know we don't have the quantitative data to back up what I'm saying, 
but like anecdotally we do and that is enough for now because this is not something anyone's going to fund research on anytime soon because no one with money to fund it gives a crap about like women suffering from unnecessary birth trauma like I bet you if a load of men were going through this people would be absolutely up in arms but we know from women's stories that people are being put through unnecessary interventions for many many reasons and suffering because of it and like I said at the beginning one in three women suffer from birth trauma and 30,000 women are diagnosed with PTSD as a result of their birth experience we also know that coercion into intervention is a leading cause of birth trauma and I will leave the research that discusses this in the show notes because it is a really great but a really heavy read so read it with caution and only if you have the headspace but I think it's good to have this because oftentimes people get really angry about you know me speaking about the birth trauma rates and things like that and saying like you can't blame intervention intervention is keeping us safer and things like that um yeah that is true but actually you know there is some research that shows that this intervention is causing lifelong birth trauma and we do need to talk about that we have rising intervention, rising rates of birth trauma, and yeah, we we need to be talking about it. Intervention when it's needed or wanted, good, life-saving. Intervention when it's forced onto someone and unwanted, rising rates of birth trauma. There's no way we've got the statistical, st- the like statistical evidence research on this, but we have got yeah that written research and that anecdotal research as well so it's tough it's really tough um evidence submitted to the 2020 maternity safety inquiry by the birth trauma association actually states most harm most litigation most brain damage and most maternal injury arises as a consequence of traumatic vaginal birth only a tiny minority occurs following spontaneous vaginal birth It is difficult to understand why there is such a lack of focus on reducing the number of these complicated births. Most low-risk women opt for vaginal birth and good communication along with kind, supportive, respectful, continuous care is helpful in reducing complications. And this is just common sense, isn't it? Like, it's just common sense. Why is it more time and effort and resources being achieving, being spent on achieving this sort of standard of care? Um it just yeah it's just sad and it just it just reflects I think it just reflects the state of our NHS at the minute the fact that it is so underfunded and so understaffed that you know this is no fault of the midwives they're just being absolutely put through the ringer (laughs) and it's really really hard and it's not them in control it's the people higher up pulling the strings so yeah please don't take any of this as me like shitting on midwives because they're doing a absolutely amazing job trying to help people get through this the majority anyway you know there's going to be bad ones there's bad ones in every job like there's bad doulas out there I'm not saying that you know all doulas are going to be the savior of birth because that's not true there's going to be you know some absolutely terrible doulas out there the same as I'm sure there's some absolutely terrible midwives as well but you know the majority of midwives are doing this job because they want to help you get a better birth too they're just yeah being controlled by the system and it makes things really tricky so yeah, please do yeah misconstrue this as me saying anything bad about midwives because it's not that's not what my beef is here. My beef is with you know the people higher up, the people running the show. So moving on, 
Something which made the news um, big time this year was the recent report by the Care Quality Commission on maternity services in the UK. And that revealed that almost two thirds of maternity units provide dangerously substandard care that puts women and babies at risk. It rated 65% of maternity services in England as either inadequate or requires improvement. And this is why I do what I do. This is why I'm putting this podcast out there because we can't walk into this blind. I know I've said it a few times. I'm really, really not trying to scare you. If you've listened to any other episode of the podcast, followed me on social media for any length of time, you will know that I constantly try my utmost to share positivity around birth. Like I'm so passionate about people going into their births feeling really confident, feeling excited, and this might feel counterproductive to that. But the point of this episode is to like light a fire under you and make you as passionate about your birth as I am. <laughs> like I'm over here cheering you on without even knowing you. I know you can take this information and use it to motivate you for your birth. Like I, I know you can do that. I know you can use this information to your advantage. I know you're going to use it. You're going to go away. You're going to learn about what physiological birth looks like if you want one. You're going to learn about your rights in pregnancy and birth. You're going to learn how to best achieve your wants and your desires. Who needs to be involved? Where will you be? What accommodations need to be made? What can you do to work on your mindset? Use this to ensure that you just become unfuckable with. Like, that is the end goal. You want to be unfuckable with. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can derail your birth. Maybe you use this information to go away and decide, you know, you actually do want a plan cesarean. And get as fully informed as possible on how to have the most gorgeous, gentle, maternal-assisted caesarean surrounded by love. Whatever it is, whatever this inspires you to do, use the finding from this report and the information in this podcast to motivate you over the next few weeks, months, however you've got long left of your pregnancy, and prepare. And you know, I'm not saying that preparing is going to get you the birth of your dreams, because unfortunately it's not that easy. You could do all the preparation in the world and still end up with a induction, still end up with an emergency cesarean, still end up with something that is not your plan A. What the preparation does is it makes sure, it's like ensures that you're super, super informed on all the like going ons with birth. It means that when you have big decisions to make, you can make them easily because you've already considered the alternative and how to make the alternative a positive experience. It means that when people start telling you you need to do X, Y or Z to keep your baby safe, to keep you safe, you know what questions to ask. You know how to make those decisions. You know like how to yeah, still ensure that you get an experience that feels positive. That is the point of preparing for birth. It's not to ensure you get one type of birth because we just simply cannot do that. It's to ensure that you get a birth that you come away feeling proud of and that you felt in control of. That's what this is all about. Like, you can do this 100%. You have got this. You have got this. But you do, yeah. You need to dedicate some time to it because the system at the minute is, yeah, not in a great place, unfortunately. And it's, we've got to take it into our own hands. And, yeah, the ways you can do that, take a birth preparation course in whatever way feels most accessible to you. So, you know, for some people, that's hiring a doula and working with your doula and, you know, making all these birth plans, going to appointments together, having constant support from your doula, either in person or virtually. So, like, I work with clients in person around Yorkshire. Um, but I'm also a virtual doula for 
wherever you need me. Anywhere in the world I can be a virtual doula. It's a really great way to work with people. So find a doula that aligns with how you want to work with them. Um, take a birth preparation course, like I said. So you could do that in person with a hypnobirthing teacher, with an antenatal educator, whatever suits you best. Work with someone in person, work with someone online, take an online course, like the one that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast episode, um, any of those things. So do some birth preparation in whatever way suits your time and your budget. Um, listen to podcasts. You're already putting the work in by listening to this. If you've made it this far, I trust that you're putting the work in, right? You've <laughs> you've listened to me ramble on about this. Um, you're putting the work in. Listen to podcasts, read books, follow um, doulas, birth workers, midwives, whoever it is on social media, take in blog posts, things like that. Dedicate your spare time to that sort of thing. Um, change your mindset around birth, which I know, again, is going to sound, like I said, counterproductive because I've just told you all these negative statistics. <laughs> but now go and fill your brain with positivity. Like I said, you've got this now. Let this light that fire under your ass and go away and find positivity. Seek out those people who are having those spontaneous vaginal deliveries. Read birth stories, watch birth videos, listen to podcasts with birth stories on them. Use positive affirmations, use visualisation, use hypnobirthing techniques. All of these things are going to build up that positive birth mindset, which are going to set you on sort of the forward foot when you go into birth. So yeah, definitely go and take in lots of positive information to work your way through this. Do not let this scare you. Let this be the thing that makes you go, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to be one of that 43%. Let it be that. Don't let it scare you. Let it motivate you. But there, yeah, they're my absolute top tips. Um, All my other top tips for birth as well that I've spoken about in my other episodes. So in my first or second episode, probably in both of them, um, I spoke about my top tips in the episode that is about the stages of labour. Um, that includes my top tips as well so go and listen to more episodes of the podcast and just yeah you can do this 100% you've got this whatever birth you want you have the power to make it happen but just know that yeah currently the system is making it a little bit more difficult and it may just take a little bit of extra work so let's end it there take a big deep breath Give yourself grace for sitting through what was a lot of information and just breathe with it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you so, so much love as always. If you have suffered with anything mentioned in this episode, any coercion, trauma, loss, I am holding you in my heart right now and always. And I promise to keep the next few episodes a lot lighter than this one. Yeah, let's end it there. If you'd like to discuss this or any other aspect of your pregnancy and birth in more detail, you can book in for a power hour with me, a one-off hour session to get clarity on your circumstances for just £50. I'll pop the info in the show notes. And remember whilst you're there to check out all of the references. So I'll include a link to the NHS maternity statistics on the website and where I got my other information about birth trauma, the research and things like that in the references too. While you're there, remember you can go and sign up for my hypnobirthing course. Use the code podcast for podcast. 
if I can get my words out, use the code podcast for a 20% discount. I promise you it's very, very good. I love it. I am incredibly proud of it and it has been receiving such incredible reviews. So go and check that out while you're there. I will link, leave a link to find out more about my doula services too on that page. It covers in person, but also virtual doula services too. If you have any more questions, come hang out on Instagram where I'm at the Dungaree doula and please let me know if you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe or leave a little review if you don't mind. It'd be so very helpful. Speak soon. See you next week. Bye.